Welcome to Strategy Talk, where the editors of Strategy Page discuss current events with a splash of history. I'm Dan Masterson, host of Strategy Talk. With me today is the editor of Strategy Page, well-known military author and game designer, Jim Dunnigan. Also joining us is the associate editor of Strategy Page, columnist and author, Austin Bay. Welcome, Austin and Jim. The United States has been running a lot of uh, freedom of navigation ops recently in the South China Sea. Jim, what are the chances of something accidentally happening, and how would that end? Uh, Well, from the Chinese point of view, it would end with a lot of wheels spinning to, to shut down the fighting. Uh, one 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 thing that that China is is how should I put it focused on and has been since they began building up their military and they discussed this semi openly you know there's a there's unclassified uh, professional journals and what have you where you know and, and and these get translated by the CIA and the and the Defense Department and what have you uh, but it's tough going you know it's like you know like the uh, the, the war college reviews and what have you not a big circulation. Um, but these articles seriously address the problems that never that the PR people will not let out into the wild, um, and that's why our coverage is always focused on the corruption in the military. Corruption in the military is an ancient. I mean, thousands of years old. There are records complaining about it. Not just the you know the uh, the Chinese, uh, but also the Babylonians. Some of the uh, when we did, when we translate started translating their old cuneiform. From you know the Af- uh, Tigris Euphrates Valley, the civilizations four thousand years ago. Aside from trivial, you know, so and so owns me two donkeys for the so many pounds of uh, kilograms of, of wheat I gave him. Um, a lot of it had to do with uh, a, 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 how should I put it? Um, punishments inflicted upon officials who had charge of the military and were basically stealing a lot of it. So some traditions just, you know, they're like cockroaches. They'll survive anything. And corruption in the military, which we're seeing now, I mean, now it, it comes up occasionally. General Eisenhower warned of it. Um, but, you know, the, uh, there it is. You know, you, you seem, seemingly it's like the tide. You can't stop it. You can whip it with chains. But that's just for that's theater. Uh, it keeps on coming. Um, the Chinese... Uh, are, how should I put it, intent on bluffing their way through this. You notice they haven't used any force. They occupy, for all practical purposes, the South China Sea. The only people who who basically uh, defy them are outsiders. In other words, people who don't come from the neighborhood in non-East Asians and Southeast Asians. Um, uh, they do get some uh, some pushback. Uh, from Indonesia, uh, the, uh, the and of course the uh, uh, Japan and China and South Korea and China are having this this tug of war, but very gentlemanly. There's no 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 contact. It's like touch football um, over the some disputed islands. You know, it's a much smaller thing. You know, between uh, you know South Korea and, and Japan and China. Whereas the South China Sea involves, you know, a huge area, um, but it, the Chinese are, are basically being bold because nobody is stopping them. 
the phone ops, the freedom of operation, uh, you know, uh, uh, patrols uh, are are in the front. Uh, but hell, they 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 out, outright broke the law, you know, and, and an international court, you know, affirmed that yes, China is breaking the law by you know att- you know um, uh, asserting ownership. Of uh, you know uh, two million square kilometers of the, of the South China Sea, um, so if anything happens, I think you'll see some you know if there is a clash, uh, and and actually what you'll probably see this gets back to the the chicken of the sea period after um, in the 1950s. For those of us who have either studied it or old enough to have lived through it, um, there was a period in the 50s and 60s where uh, the American electronic Eland aircraft flying in international waters off the coast of Russia were literally attacked. You know, there were several dozen fatalities. Um, and, uh, and the same thing was going on at sea. Uh, our surface ships were or actually the intelligence gathering ships were, were uh, basically shadowing. At a at a proper according to the rules of the sea distance, uh, Russian uh, uh, ships operating on the high seas, um, and the Russians basically started saying, "Well, we can't have this." You know, chase them away, and you had the same kind of stuff you see going on with China now. They would have their their warships, you know, play chicken of the sea, play chicken literally, and there were some uh, small collisions and what have you. And eventually, in the seventies, there was a treaty signed saying, "All right, we outlaw chicken of the sea." Uh, because the Americans apparently said, you know, you want to kill us, we'll kill you, you know, tit for tat. Um, and uh, the China, there has no such deal been made with China because China feels it isn't being as stupid as the Russians. The Chinese think all Westerners are dumb. Uh, they have all sorts of nasty things to say about it. Some of them are true, but a lot of it's just the usual, you know, we're superior, the master race, et cetera, et cetera. China, the Chinese have been doing it a lot longer than, you know, than the Nazis or anybody else in the West was. Um, and, uh, they will basically, uh, come up with some clever stratagem to say, all right, it was an accident. Look what happened in 2001 with the, uh, the, the, the American Elan aircraft that was clipped, uh, by a, a Chinese fighter and, and went down. Uh, well, it didn't go down. I mean, it had to make a crash landing in, in Hainan Island. The Chinese pilot and his aircraft went down and he didn't survive. So, no punishment involved, no punishment required there. Uh, but that was stupid. You know, we, we analyzed that to death. And it was obvious that the, uh, the Chinese pilot, you know, had some had had orders to sort of, you know, fly close and, uh, you know, send the message. But he decided to play cowboy and he hadn't didn't have enough air time. And he basically, boom, so he died for it. Um but, you know, uh, we may have lost a lot of intelligence, uh, you know, collecting, you know, knowledge because they, they apparently our guys weren't able to uh, destroy as much as they were supposed to before they hit touch ground and were arrested. Uh, but the Chinese quickly, you know, they didn't make they didn't drag that out. They said, all right, well, you know, well, you know, we'll take your plane apart to make sure there's no hidden, you know, uh, bombs or anything. Um, and then we'll let them go. Uh but they didn't want to go to war over it. And if there was an incident at sea between warships uh, where somebody, if they opened fire, uh, that would be their worst nightmare because they'd have to basically say our sailors are incompetent or some idiot, you know, they'd have to basically put a bunch of officers and sailors in prison uh, and make a big show of it. Uh, of course, they'd quietly let them loose as soon as they 
you know, uh, felt they could as the years went by. But by then it would have calmed down, and, and you know, we weren't we aren't going to re. You can't revive that that state of tension, you know, five or six years later. Um, but that seems to be their SOP, their standard operating procedure. They don't publish it, but they discuss it because right now, at, at this moment, there is a lively discussion going on within the Chinese military about how screwed up are we? You know, I mean, you know, because the Chinese, the the, uh, the senior leadership, uh, look at, you know, they they've been basically trying to crap clamp down on the corruption in the military for over 20 years. At first they said, you got to get out of business. Uh, you, you can't, you know, uh, then there was a crackdown on the, uh, the military procurement system. A lot of sweetheart deals going on there. Uh, they started putting uh, uh, officers and now some generals in jail uh, for getting too greedy or getting caught. I, I suppose the Chinese would uh, look at it. Um, and, uh, but, now, this discussion is again being raised of it's not just the thieves in uniform we have to worry about, it's the pretenders. They're, they're literally saying many of our officers are simply making it look good. And when they get out there, you know, this is especially true with the ground force. The Navy is another situation. This has always been the case. You can't fake it if you're spending a lot of time at sea. And, and we've warned that the Chinese have warships. Not only do they have a lot of new warships, but they're spending a lot of time at sea. And when they started, what was it, uh, geez, 15 years ago, sending a, a task force to join the International Anti-Piracy Patrol off Somalia, we watched them like a hawk because this is their first long-range deployment ever. The Chinese, well, right, there was the treasure fleet in the 15th century, but that, they, 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 that that's... That exploration was very successful, and then the then the a new emperor came to power, and they burned all those ships. Uh, but that shows you how they look at these things. Do not, you know, uh, uh, build a a you know a armed force, a navy, because we don't need it. And that so just having a large navy is an enormous change in Chinese military thinking. And for thousands of years, they simply didn't do it. It wasn't we don't need it, but now they need it. And this is where you get to the crux of the matter of, of China getting involved in a war. They do the math. They're not as dependent on exports as they used to be, but they're as, as, as more dependent on imports. They have to import most of their oil. They have to import a lot of their uh, ores and you know raw materials for manufacturing. They have to import some of their technology still. Um, and of course, exports account for a large chunk of employment in China. Still, they're trying to turn it into a consumer economy. They're having a big problem with that. Let me put it this way. They are far more vulnerable to a, a cutoff in trade, a massive cutoff in trade, not just a tit for tat the Americans, are, you know, the United States is doing to them now. Uh, but boom, you clap because, you know, we could blockade the, you know, the, the uh, um, uh, Chinese ports just by the threat the insurance companies would shut them down, you know, that people couldn't trade. The rates, in other words, we, dis we can disrupt without winning an outright military victory. We can disrupt maritime traffic to China, uh, you know, simply by, you know, making declarations. And the Chinese are aware of that. They think, yeah, we have all sorts of plans. Uh, they're, they're, putting, they're, they're putting most of their, their faith in electronic disruption. And they may have a case there. Nobody knows. Uh, they... 
come up with some really scary weapons, but they never test them. Uh, for example, their new, their new, uh, well, not new. It's been around for years. Their, uh, their, their, their uh, inter ballistic missile that can hit a carrier at sea. They have never tested it. It's no big deal. We've covered this several times. It's no big deal to test it. If you want to scare the Americans, you take a basically a, a, a about to be scrapped, your know, bulk, your know, cargo carrier, some ship that's about the same size as a carrier. Um, an American carrier, put it under remote control. This is no, this is not high science. It's done, you know, <coughs> occasionally for for testing uh, military weapons. Uh, take it out into the West Pacific. Warn everybody, stay away. We're going to do a, a live ballistic missile test in this area. So aircraft and ships stay away, but they know the satellites will be watching. Um, and uh, they launch it. Uh, our, our, we have the satellites that detect, you know, uh, ballistic missile launches. We track it. Uh, we have eyes on the on the on the large, you know, uh, uh, bulk carrier down there, and we see the splashdown. If the splashdown is in that carrier, we are worried. If it misses by a couple of miles, well, that was interesting. Try again. Uh, they haven't even been willing to try. Uh, China, China will put lives and reputation at risk. To you know, to try new weapons, they lost a lot of sailors uh, getting their their conventional submarines. Uh, how should I put it? Fit for regular overseas service. I mean, they, they lost entire crews in some cases due to stupid mistakes. But that's that's how any navy becomes, you know, a powerful naval power by keeping ships at sea continually. Oh, you know, for years at a time, they've been doing this. They're scary, so we know they can navigate. They still occasionally run aground. It's easier to do in the South China Sea because that's relatively shallow, shallow waters. But at the same time, they're basically trying to bluff their way into eventually being able to get away with claiming, you know, control. Because the even though the international courts have gone against them, and that was a a, a case for the Philippines part. Um, the Chinese are in the process of buying everybody off. I mean, this goes back to Zen Zhu, you know, the, the ancient Chinese, you know, uh, uh, military philosopher, who pointed out, you know, quite practically that, yes, you need a large and powerful army, but if you have to capture a fortress, it's easier to do with a large bribe, or as he called it, with a donkey load of silver, um, than it is to basically lose thousands of, 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 uh, of uh, expensively equipped and trained soldiers you know, trying to take the place. And from the from the Chinese viewpoint, and of course, many Western, the Byzantines were famous for this. Uh, the Romans actually did too, but they, 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 they the Byzantine Greeks got stuck with the uh, reputation for that being a bad thing. It isn't. Um, and, uh, and the Chinese still perfectly believe in it. So they are basically trying to buy the South China Sea. And, and again, they feel that if they get enough countries, ASEAN and all the countries they are investing in with their Belt and Road Initiative and what have you, um, uh, they'll be able to say, look, all of our neighbors agree with us. It belongs to us. You wait. And then they start playing the, the evil Western colonial card, uh, which you know, most people in, in, the, in the Far East don't, don't believe, especially since they got rich off, you know, the uh, – the uh, the Western investments and and uh, purchases of uh, you know uh, of uh, goods manufactured in in East Asia, um, but they're talking about you know a propaganda campaign, uh, and that's what they're building up to. So 
bottom line is any clash, you know, whether it's accidental or some local commander, you know, having a bad day or whatever, uh, will will be quickly backpedaled. I mean, that's what they discuss. You know, how do we how do we uh, how do we extricate ourselves with minimum loss of face? Which is how it, it basically it translates into English. Uh, they have more colorful ways of putting it in Mandarin. Um, but so, quite frankly, they have no intention of letting any clash out there escalate. Not because, not just because of the military risk, but the economic risk. Because if the economy goes through a a collapse, which it would. I mean, the economy is already in big trouble because of too many bad loans. Sound familiar? Uh, something China went through a real estate bubble in the '90s. They haven't recovered from. You know, I remember in the '90s, up until the mid '90s, people were still saying, "Oh, the Japanese are going to take over the you know the world's economy, et cetera, et cetera." Then all of a sudden, their real estate bubble burst, and and they're still. They're still basically dealing with the fallout from that. <clears throat> but the other thing that hit the Chinese in the nineties was the first affluent generation was was had come of age, and they weren't having children, which is basically the curse of the of the of the middle class. It, it goes back to ancient history. The the bill, noble nobilities of ancient Rome, the the wealthy families of ancient Rome, and the nobility of say medieval Europe, uh, they didn't. Most of them, the ones the families that died out didn't die out from combat or, you know, civil war, what have you. They died out from not having enough heirs uh, because, you know, the, 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 uh, a wealthy, you know, a aristocratic woman, her idea of marriage was one heir, one spare, then that's it. You know, play with your mistresses um, and I'm going to party. Uh, and uh, and that, that happened. It, that, you don't have to be an aristocrat for that to happen. It happened in Europe as they became more affluent after World War II. It's happened in South Korea, and now it's happening in China. So, you know, they have practical problems that have nothing to do with war. The last thing they want is a war, especially with America, because you got to remember, let's look, look, look in a larger strategic sense. We have nukes that can reach all of China. They don't have nukes that can reach all of the United States. So they haven't really got a nuclear threat. I mean, yeah, they could do some damage. Their biggest threat is is is, is, uh, is is hacking, is being able to bring down the internet. But even then, that's a self-inflicted wound. And that's what's, what's worrisome about China talking about basically cutting off the uh, – you know, establishing a, a China-centric internet. It still would have connections to the outside world. You know, it's like the one they have in North Korea. It's basically a big intranet. You know, it's just a yeah, an internet just for North Korea. And there are a few pipes – you need special permission, you know, and a high security clearance to get onto where you can access the, you know, the World Wide Web. Uh, but uh, China and Russia are talking about doing that. Uh, and other countries have to, even the United States, it's come up. Why don't we just, you know, basically uh, you know, seal ourselves off so, or make it easier to basically cut ourselves off? Fortunately, the Internet was designed to make that very difficult. Uh, and uh, that's why nobody except North Korea has been able to do it. And North Korea did it because they had so few pipes going out in the first place. They basically established internet technology in North Korea, but there there were literally, there was no ISP, as it were, serving North Korea. And they got one or two lines from China. There was, for, for, for a little while, they were using a satellite link. Uh, 
And so this is obviously a, a restricted net that is easy to you know, monitor and control. Uh, China wants to do it for the whole country. Now, they're the biggest Internet population in the world. Uh, and that might be useful, but they still need it for their international trade. Uh, but so you expect to see more proposals from them, you know, to basically establish a Chinese Internet while still having uh, an, enough e- e- uh, international access to uh, to keep, um, you know, academic and economic and government uh, and whatever uh, relationships going. Uh, so this is the crucial thing. Now, what I've been talking about here is all three of us are old, you know, war gamers. We were in the business at one point or another in the years past, and in, in you know, in, in doing a combat, uh, a war simulation, one of the first questions you have to ask is, what are the victory conditions? Why are these two people or three people or whatever groups fighting each other? Because that's what drives, you know, the the, the decisions you're supposed to make in this simulation. And as we all discovered, because we're all designers, uh, as well as, you know, when we were players, um, it's sometimes difficult to do that because you are looking for, well, what were they, what were they trying to do in, in early stages of World War One? And it becomes very interesting. It really gives you a new insight into history. And that's the way, you know, the three of us are thinking here in China, in the South China Sea. What are the Chinese victory conditions? And that's an excellent question because most people in the West – don't haven't got a clue what they are. They're not conquering the South the South China Sea. They are, and the Chinese have several terms for it. They are absorbing it, just like they're doing in in Jiangking, you know, and with the Uyghurs, the 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 Turkic Muslims up in and in, uh, in uh, northwestern China. Uh, the the Uyghurs are basically opposing China, not because of religion. Uh, not because they're Islamic fanatics, and very few of them are, um, but because they see what's happening to them is what happen is what happens to foreign people, you know, non-Han Chinese. Han, remember, Han Chinese—that's the ethnic group, you know, you know, genetically and what have you, culturally—are the are they are they are the majority of Chinese, um, and uh, they are twenty percent of the world's population, and they know that. And they say, well, that's the way it should be. Maybe we should be more. But what they try and do is if they can't get you to, you know, to basically, uh, you know, uh, uh, try and become, uh, you know, second class Han, uh, they basically try and send in Han Chinese uh, colonists, which is what they're doing in, in Jiangjing. And they're, they're now the, the non-Chinese are now the majority. And they're also basically uh, making it more difficult to, uh, uh, to speak uh, Turkic languages. Uh, they're controlling religion. Now, they do this to everybody. They're not picking on the Uyghurs, you know, or the Muslims. Um, you know, the Christians, you name it. The Chinese government wants to control, uh, you know, religious leadership and religious practice. Um, and the Uyghurs are opposing this. Now, the Uyghurs are basically like many, you know, people on the periphery of China's borders. There's a pattern. You'll notice on both sides of China's board, land borders, there are peoples who got there because they didn't want to be absorbed by the empire. Uh, and you had two choices, either submit, well, three choices, really, submit, die, or flee. And a lot of people flee. Uh, you know, entire groups. And they're all over East, they're always Asia, you know, in northern Burma, uh, South Vietnam, uh, or Vietnam, central Vietnam, uh, uh, in parts of India, uh, you know, all around the periphery, there are groups 
like the Uyghurs, who said, I do not want to, you know, uh, become Sinified, you know, Chinified, as it were. Um, and But China know, knows this works, and the neighbors do too. And if they want to maintain their, their cultural independence, you want to play ball. I mean, but then again, a lot of people say, well, how far does the new Chinese want to expand? They've never gone overseas before, uh, you know, as a government. Uh, and, and so now, you know, Australia is getting nervous because you know, the Chinese are talking about setting up artificial islands at atolls out in the Pacific. I mean, deep out, not just in these shallow waters of the South China Sea. And they're saying, my God, you know, how far will it go? Well, nobody knows. The Chinese don't know because this is all new territory for them. So this, that's dangerous. But the one thing that hasn't changed is their aversion to getting involved in a war. They, you know, they tried fighting China, you know, over 100 years ago in the 1890s. They got wiped out. It was, it was embarrassing. Because the Japanese had never been known as, you know, uh, were never an overseas, you know, uh, conqueror. But they picked up all this Western technology and they just, you know, boom, they blew right through the uh, the Chinese. Um, uh, then, you know, they basically had the civil war. They overthrew the uh, the, uh, the the Manchu Empire. And then the Chinese started coming in. And that's when they realized the only way we can defeat a, a technologically superior a foe is not through direct combat, but through the ancient method of absorbing them. And basically, they wore the China, the Japanese down. Uh, and, and then, of course, they Japanese made the mistake of going to war with the United States, uh, with the West, and boom, uh, you know, it was soon, it was soon all over. And Japan it was in ruins. But Japan came back, and that worries the Chinese a lot. Is they're not just using the traditional, you know, racism and. And hey, you you did me a wrong, and you 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 should be guilty. And you know, guilt is in the vocabulary in that part of the world, especially in Japan. Uh, um, but but they're basically being the big bad. Remember, Napoleon said, you know, 150 years ago, you know, China is a sleeping dragon. When it wakes, the world will tremble. Well, it wasn't just Napoleon. I dug into that. There were a lot of Westerners who weren't as quick with a quick as Napoleon was, or as, or as famous as he was. But a lot of uh, a lot of Dutch and English traders, you know, mustered, uh, you know, muttered among themselves, as it were. What if the Chinese, you know, what if they wake up, as it were, uh, from their slumber? And then, indeed, the, the, there are some of the documents, you know, uh, basically confidential information to Englishmen, young Englishmen, and the Dutch had similar stuff. Uh, going to do business in China, they say, forget all you've heard about the Chinese. When they're doing business, they are world class. I mean, I'm translating this into 21st century English. Uh, they are formidable. And, and if you're not careful, they will, they will basically, you know, do what you think is a fair deal and take you to the cleaners. Um, and this is one reason why China was Great Britain was in uh, making no problem, providing no problems when the lease on Hong Kong came up. Said, "All right, according to the lease, you know it's yours now. Bye bye." Um, they basically learned the lesson, uh, but many of the politicians and diplomats did not, and they try and you know look at China in Western terms. It's a fundamentally different culture, and one thing that culture is averse to. Is getting into a fight you're not absolutely – well, no, let me put it this way. They don't really believe in the, the thing that's popular in the West that, that has caused so many wars is that we can win this. Let's do it. Uh, no, 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 no. 
the Chinese say, let some other fool try that. That's what Sun Tzu was basically, uh, you know, uh, advising people to do 2,000 years ago. Machiavelli, in a certain way, was saying the same thing. You know, don't get involved in a head-on fight. You know, nobody wins. Uh, look for another way. And that's the that's the traditional Chinese donkey load of gold or silver, uh, you know, to buy whatever you're trying to get. Uh, but we are averse to that. We, it, uh, you know... Uh, um, uh, culturally, we we look upon, we're down upon that. But the Chinese say that's the highest form of warfare. Don't fight unless you absolutely have to. And they want to fight as the defense, as the victim. They want to be playing defense, not offense. That's why they're trying to turn, you know, the uh, the South China Sea into a into enough of a generally recognized, at least in East Asia, Chinese property that we will basically be facing an overwhelming attack by our allies, a diplomatic attack saying, look, Yankees, go home, you know, forget about it. You know, the Chinese, we can trust them. We have no choice. You do. Uh, so don't, don't, don't basically burn the place down, you know, over this, this silly dispute, which is not really a dispute, blah, blah, blah. You start to hear about, hear that out of some of our Asian allies, as it were, who have already been bought and paid for by the Chinese. Um, because that's how they roll. So there we are. That's that's how a that's how a, the Chinese would react to an accidental war. Well, Austin, that's quite a riff. How do you follow it up? <clears throat> I see all kinds of scenarios that can get out of hand. I don't disagree with Jim that the uh, Chinese uh, are on an absorption strategy, but that's still an invasion. They've invaded the South China Sea. They've broken international law. Totally ignored it. You know the. Um, Arbitration Court in The Hague ruled in the <clears throat> Philippines' favor on all but one uh, of the uh, <clears throat> complaints uh, that the Philippines had, and it, and it was minor. All of the uh, territorial complaints the Filipinos had vis-a-vis -vis, uh, uh, China, uh, the court upheld and, and uh, accused China uh, fishermen of, uh, of robbing uh, uh, fishing grounds and Filipino re uh, resources. So in the in the oh the, the Chinese absorption uh, scenario, some of the neighbors don't want to be absorbed. Vietnam among them, the Philippines. Why <clears throat> even a Chinese enclave called Taiwan? They don't want to be absorbed, and they have you know, yeah they're they're uh, overmatched completely by China, and which is why China wants to. Uh, excuse me. <coughs> wow. Which is why China wants all of these confrontations to be bilateral. Big China, the aggressor big China against smaller Vietnam, not an alliance of ASEAN nations or an alliance involving the United States, which uh, could be a mix of uh, uh, of nations, and it could be the, the quad, which we've talked about, the uh, quadrilateral strategic dialogue that is uh, Japan, Australia, the U.S., and India, by the way. And I, I see uh, spilled uh, potential scenarios that uh, – not potential scenarios. I see potential warfare in the South China Sea sparked by tensions between uh, uh, India and China. Let's talk about the economic – the threat to the Chinese Communist Party's regime, which Jim did. That's very real. And economic slowdown, uh, loss of citizen cooperation, 
That's something that the, the, the dictatorship fears. That's why they have, oh, oh, uh, uh, oh come on, uh, what's the uh, social credit system? Which, yes. Uh, we, we've written down, yeah. Social <coughs> credit rating, SCR. <laughs> that's it, all right. But they're they're afraid of, la- of loss of, co- uh, of cooperation. And who knows, you have a revolution, complete disgust with corruption. And, and uh, Jim writes about that all the time when, uh, uh, and co- covers it in, in detail on uh, the strategy page. But you, you reach a point where uh, the Tiananmen Tiger, which is the, the term I like to use, uh, bites back. Uh, let's say the U.S., and here and I'll get into the speculative scenario, Dan, the U.S. sides with the pro-democracy uh, uh, elements, and it's going to use its economic power uh, to, to help the pro-democracy side. Think a little bit about Venezuela, even though I know China's not Venezuela. But uh, the military authoritarians want to teach the U.S. a lesson, and they're going to teach the United States Navy a lesson. And with all those anti-ship missiles they've got on their islands in the South China Sea, uh, if a, um, it's a, call it a trigger finger uh, uh, fun up is what it would be, and they shoot, and now you've got a confrontation uh, between the U.S. and China. Now, there's in the in my in Cocktails from Hell, my new book. I've got I discuss in uh, some detail what I call a media engagement in the South China Sea, and that's ultimately a sea battle. That's a that is a short but deadly war between the U.S. and China with the Philippines and Vietnam, likely U.S. Uh, allies. And, and there are a lot of things that could kick that off. I went with, uh, with one that involves uh, palace intrigue in, in, in Beijing. But uh, Chinese and Filipino vessels exchange fires. The Filipinos don't want to be absorbed. U.S. Navy attempts to intervene or calm it down, and a Chinese missile hits a U.S. warship. Uh, could happen, what happens? As Jim said, uh, we got into it with the Russians. <coughs> Gosh, excuse me. Uh, you going to shoot at us? We'll shoot back. What if China decides to militarily restrict passage of freighters and tankers in transit to Taiwan or Japan? Uh, I mean, it could happen. Uh, it's something that could puts at uh, risk a real escalation to a regional war. And Jim says, well, the the Chinese don't want that to happen, but a lot of these things can get out of hand, which is why we're really talking about accidental, uh, accidental wars coming out of the inability of the minor powers and the great powers to uh, de-escalate the situation. But let's talk about two, the two Asian giants. I said, you know, China versus India. Jim made the point that China is far more dependent today on imports, raw materials, energy. And it's also, it's still got an export economy, though it wants to become a consumer economy. Look at the, the commercial routes that begin in Southwest Asia and in Africa. They pass through the Indian Ocean, right past India. And then, of course, they squeeze at the Strait of Malacca. And I'll get to another scenario involving the Strait of Malacca, which connects the Indian Ocean to the South China Sea and the uh, Pacific. Goes right by uh, goes right by Singapore. India sits on uh, – it, it physically – can physically impede 
the Chinese economy. If the, the, one of these shooting confrontations in in the, uh, the Himalayas uh, uh, gets out of uh, 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 gets out of hand, and then India India uh, star, uh, starts uh, let's call it a long distance uh, embargo uh, of of China, shut, uh, stopping freighters uh, in the Indian Ocean. And China, in order to ensure that it can uh, make India pay, yeah, there are all kinds of things they could do, firing missiles and, and the like, decides it wants to ensure that it can control access to the Strait of Malacca and therefore mess with India's uh, 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 foreign trade. They make a move on Singapore. Oh, would that be a major war? Maybe I'm going too far with this, but those are some of the things that admirals in Beijing think about. It's a scenario they've considered. Uh, they might like to recover that, uh, that, uh, uh, that island. Uh, and here's another one, too. Anti-access area denial. We've got a lot on that on, uh, on strategy page. Um, they, that is what... China, that was China's naval strategy and the, the way that they have built their uh, artificial islands in the South China Sea uh, give you a uh, way to illustrate what any access area denial is about. Not having the carriers or sufficient long-range aviation to actually uh, continually control the South China Sea, they went for building these islands, essentially creating stationary carriers. And as Jim has pointed out in past uh, strategy talks, they've got a lot of already uh, intersecting uh, fires from the, uh, of, from the uh, islands they've already built. It is very, very difficult for a surface ship to move through that area and uh, Avoid being uh, hit. I'm talking about like a commercial freighter. Avoid being hit by a, 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 a anti-ship missile uh, fired from one of the uh, islands, or potentially fired from a, a Chinese uh, attack sub as well, or Chinese aircraft. That is uh, anti-access area denial, but it's also as they as they in, uh, improve the weapons, it's. It is a threat to the United States, uh, United States uh, Navy, and at, at some at one point, if they've reached a certain level of confidence, they they'll say uh, no more uh, uh, freedom of navigation operations. I'm sorry, we're going to deny it to you, and you know we've got the uh, the power to do that. It now belongs to us, no matter what the neighbors say and no matter what you say, the United States. Is that uh, too far-fetched, a diplomatic uh, initiative by Beijing? Perhaps it is right now. Well, here's another uh, accidental, uh, accidental war uh, uh, scenario, at least think about. Jim's talked about that steerable uh, anti-ship ballistic missile. DF-21. Now, I'm forgetting that this DF-21, it's a new modification, but Jim last wrote something about it just a couple of years ago. No, they really haven't, they haven't, certainly haven't tested it against a, 
a, car a carrier battle group. But let's say they decide they want to fire a warning shot. And maybe they want to test it. Maybe they listen to strategy talk and they heard Jim Dunnigan say, hey, they haven't tested it. So they test it, firing it in the general direction of, of and claiming it's going to miss, but a warning shot at uh, foreign warships. And let's say it hits an American ship. What happens? What happens? Uh, Far-fetched? Uh, perhaps, perhaps not. The, the thing is, is that it's, you can't disagree with Jim's analysis about what the Chinese are up to, cabbage strategy. I've written several columns about that. That's what they, uh, the Chinese admit to doing in the South China Sea. They, they uh, make the territorial claim, and then uh, here's the quote, they wrap them with ships, air patrols, and garrisons, military layers akin to cabbage leaves. That was a term used by a uh, Chinese uh, general in, uh, in 2013. And it's just strong enough that nobody really wants to test it. And that is the way the absorption, uh, absorption strategy has proceeded. But it's also reached a point where uh, India is collaborating with Japan, U.S., uh, and Australia, and that some of the neighbors are vehemently objecting, Vietnam and the Philippines as well. So I'll, those are scenarios that I... Uh, the State Department had better have uh, considered because it's going to take some very fast-moving diplomacy to uh, de-escalate it on the part of the United States and uh, and China. And you've, there's also the third-party actor with an interest, Vietnam and the Philippines and Taiwan. Don't leave them off that they couldn't get involved in something and uh, es escalate the, uh, uh, the uh, situation in the South China Sea. Why does it matter? Jim's already talked about the Chinese economy, but let's talk about everybody's economy. Five trillion in trade moves through the South China Sea uh, at the glo in, in global trade. Five trillion dollars worth of, of material goods uh, on, uh, on ships uh, uh, pass through the uh, area every year. Yeah, a war there is going to deleteriously affect the global economy. You're going to kick off a recession, if not a depression, if a major war erupted in the area. In one way, that's, that's something that, that, that gets the diplomats in Beijing and Washington uh, uh, active. But all of these... Uh, all, all of these little, some of them may be, again, I, I admit, far-fetched uh, uh, scenarios are, are potential igniters of a far larger war. And it's who's at fault there? It's China for going into the South China Sea, making the spurious claims that have been <laughs> judged illegal, and at the same time, essentially a slow invasion using barges, construction crews, and concrete to build those artificial islands. That is not, uh, that, that's not positive diplomacy, and it's definitely not defensive at least from the perspective of the Philippines and Vietnam. I'll leave it at that. Okay. Well, that's a good place to leave it. Uh, we've covered a lot of territory today, and uh, our time's up. So uh, we'll talk to both of you next time. It'll come back. Okay. Bye.